More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. This is Kelly. And right before we get into today's episode, I want to give a quick trigger warning. I feel like I should just give all the warnings right up front because we're going to talk about things today that may trigger you. And um, while this is not intended at all to be a political episode of Survivor Sanctuary, we are going to discuss partisan politics, partisan politics within the church, and uh, the way that churches treat survivors and in a way, how they devalue them. I just I want to give you trigger warnings right up front because we're going to be talking about something that's going on in the news right now. And I know that it can be kind of a sticky subject for people. We're going to be talking about abortion, Roe v. Wade, all those fun things that have kind of been glaringly in the news here lately. And after giving that trigger warning, I want to be clear again. I already said it. This is not meant to be a politically partisan episode of Survivor Sanctuary at all. But this is something that within the survivor community, I don't think that we can ignore. I definitely can't ignore it. And I've had all kinds of feelings over the past couple of weeks and couple of months as we kind of knew that this uh, decision was coming. We were sort of leaked that information a little bit early. But um, anyway, I just wanted to let you know if it's something you don't feel like you can listen to right now, um, no worries. Just go do something else fun with your day. Um, But I am angst ridden a little bit, as I'm sure a lot of other people are. And I've just seen some things that have really kind of caused me to lose a little bit more of the hope that I had that things could change within the church. And I will say that at any given time, I don't have a whole lot of hope for it. But I do I know people within the church who love God and they love people and they're amazing people. And I want to be clear about that. But just some things that have gone on have kind of made me feel a little bit like, what's the point? Like, why do we bother with any of this? Maybe we should just throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I know I'm probably not the only person feeling that way right now. Now, I'm not sharing my opinion on Roe v. Wade being overturned, uh, because again, that's not what this is about. This this episode is not about my opinion of abortion. Um, It's not about my opinion on Roe v. Wade. I have opinions, obviously, I'm a very opinionated person, and I am always ready with opinions on almost every subject, but that's not what this is about. So you know that uh, the Supreme Court has just overturned Roe v. Wade, and of course this came with like huge celebrations from the church just people being super ecstatic and you know celebrating very openly and vocally on Facebook and all the other fun social media outlets and on TV as well and radio and podcasts and what have you. People have a lot of very strong opinions no matter which side of the issue you find yourself on. But something about the church's response to the overturning of Roe v. Wade 
just has kind of, it's triggered something in me that feels a lot like a righteous indignation. Um, it's its a lot of anger. Like I, I feel angry at how uh, people have responded to this. And I know that for some people listening, you might think, oh, you're angry. Like I saw a meme, a pretty obnoxious meme that has been floating around. I think it was a quote from Twitter maybe, but it's been floating around all the social media outlets. And it just says, imagine being angry that babies will live. And so when I tell you that I'm angry, it's not necessarily an anger that's related to this Supreme Court decision. It's only related in the sense that I'm angry at the response of the church right now. And memes like that are not helpful. I feel like I talk a lot here on Survivor Sanctuary about memes that are not helpful, but it seems like these quotes and memes get so popular and they just start getting passed around by church people. And it's like, you know, this is one of the big reasons why so many people want nothing to do with Christianity. And I I think that a lot of the reactions to the overturning of Roe v. Wade are, whether they're Facebook memes or something else, a lot of the reaction doesn't remind me at all of anything related to Jesus, of anything related to the gospel. And I've just seen a lot of pastors, a lot of Christian people, but especially when you're in church leadership, church leaders saying things about, you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned. And finally, after 50 years, we're going to protect these unborn boys and girls. This is so historic. Praise God. And then so many people want to post scripture with that. And so one of the scriptures that it kind of, this is really one of the things that triggered me the most. Um, And no, I'm not super sensitive and get triggered by every single thing that is said and done. But when I say it triggered me, it, it just like brings up these feelings like that the church doesn't really care about survivors of sexual abuse. And knowing that when people post scriptures talking about how much they care for the vulnerable and the voiceless, it makes me want to gag because I, I don't believe it. And I think that that's the bottom line. I don't believe that a church that is willing to overlook the problem in their own congregations, the problem in their own midst, the problem with their own people, they're willing to overlook the horrible things that are happening to living boys and girls and men and women in their midst, and they're willing to do anything to silence those people, to sweep things under the rug, to get people to just forgive so we can stop talking about it. Um, They're willing to go to many great lengths including hiring attorneys and going to court and going to great lengths to not care for survivors of sexual abuse. But then they're posting Proverbs 13, 8 on posts about Roe v. Wade being overturned. Speak out on behalf of the voiceless and for the rights of all who are vulnerable. And like, I don't have a problem with Proverbs 13 and verse 8. I don't have a problem with it. And I I don't have a problem with someone and their sincerely held belief that, you know, life begins at conception. And we have opinions all over the spectrum. and, And that's why I wanted to be clear. And I'm still being clear. This is not about my opinion about Roe v. Wade. It is about my opinion of the church's reaction to Roe v. Wade and how the church has obsessed over Roe v. Wade for so many decades to the detriment of the vulnerable and voiceless people already in their midst that they feel completely comfortable overlooking all the time. And it's hard for me to take you seriously when you've got nothing to say absolutely nothing to say about the epidemic of sexual abuse of vulnerable and voiceless children in your midst. You've got nothing to say about that. 
You know, for the last 50 years, how much has the church had to say about the problem of sexual abuse in their midst? And when you see the church's failure to care for the living people in their midst who are voiceless and vulnerable, who have been abused, mistreated, walked all over, stomped on, re-victimized, it is so difficult to take that same church seriously when they rejoice that Roe v. Wade is overturned because of their deep, deep care about the killing of unborn boys and girls and the preciousness of life. And it just, to me, it is complete and, and utter BS. Just to me, something about it does not smell right. And it's been really hard uh, this week watching the whole religious right kind of high-fiving one another and basically gloating over you know the decision and then saying also just some pretty not fair things to women who've ever considered having an abortion and and basically chalking it up to well if you don't if you don't want to have a baby then don't have sex as though the issue is that simple it's just really been hard and it's brought up a lot of feelings of just that that same old same old that we deal with as survivors of sexual abuse that the church can't be bothered to care about us. And I think it says a lot about the church that the issue that you are the most loud, most vocal and outraged about in your midst, the issue that you care about the most is an issue that requires literally nothing of you. It requires no sacrifice. It requires nothing. You know, there, there's nothing on your part that would say, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to help with this. I'm going to be a part of the solution. Like there's really not much you have to do to be pro-life basically especially pro-life within the church and again I'm not this isn't about you know trashing people who believe that abortion is wrong or that life begins at conception that's that's not what this is it's about the partisanship of our beliefs as Christians it's the partisanship of the church it's watching pastors who literally never say anything that's not in line with a Republican Christian's viewpoint on anything. And when your Bible and your interpretation of the Bible only lines up with your political party, you're not reading it right. You're not interpreting it right because Jesus is not a part of your political party. And that goes for both sides. And we've had this discussion on the podcast before. And this is not something that only people who are on the religious right do. It's not something that only Republicans do. I, I think that every person with any type of political affiliation like loves the pastime of trying to fit the Bible into their political party. That's, that's a very uh, human thing to do, I guess. And it's something that we see on both sides of the aisle. But we would be really dumb And we would be ignoring a giant elephant in the room if we acted as though the vast, vast majority of evangelical Christianity votes Republican and is affiliated with the Republican Party. We can't ignore that because it's just reality. It it is. And so while I'm not here to promote either political party and while I will call out injustice on either side of the aisle, for what we're talking about today, this really is about partisan politics within the church, and that means um, right politics within the church, or I should say Republican, because most of the church, yes, thinks that their politics are the correct ones. But let's just be real. The vast majority of evangelical Christianity is right wing. And so I think that what bothers me is that so much 
of what we see and hear from pastors and leaders is not so much what Jesus would be thinking about what's going on or what Jesus would do in a particular situation. So much of it is just politics with verses sprinkled in there to make it seem like it's spiritual. And I hate it so much. I especially hate it for survivors of sexual abuse because I don't want to hear church that you are just rejoicing and rejoicing over fewer babies being aborted when you can't be bothered to say a single word ever about the epidemic of sexual abuse within the church. You know, um, report after report after report comes out. And these are like huge reports. Sometimes you could read articles for a week or longer. These exposés that come out about sexual abuse within the church or within the Southern Baptist Convention or, you know, whatever scandal it is that that's broken and pastors being abusive and people being hurt and wounded. And I never, ever see ministers and spiritual leaders posting anything about this stuff not posting what the heart of Jesus is surrounding how we treat the vulnerable and voiceless who are already alive. So when you can't be bothered to bother with the vulnerable and voiceless who are already alive and who in front of your face are being mistreated and being abused and being traumatized, then your rejoicing over Roe v. Wade to me has nothing to do with your care for the voiceless and vulnerable and everything to do with a political position. And I don't want to hear it. I don't. Because it's virtue signaling. It is. I mean, there's virtue signaling everywhere, but especially within the church. We care so much about babies not being aborted. But if you fast forward five years or four years and your baby is sexually assaulted uh, by someone in our church, then we are going to try and cover it up. We're definitely not going to talk openly about it. We are definitely going to do everything we can to protect our church from having lawsuits against it. We're definitely going to encourage the person who was abused and their family to never speak of it to anybody because we don't want our church to look bad. We're going to re-traumatize your kid who was sexually abused because they're speaking out or telling the truth about what happened to them is, is going to harm our church somehow. But just make sure that you don't abort any babies, please. Make sure that if a child is conceived, it is definitely born because that's super important to us. But our care and concern for that same child being born, it ends when the kid comes out of the womb. It completely ends. That's it. We're done caring. We're done caring about your children when they come out of the womb. And and then all we're going to care about from that point forward is that we have a great kids ministry. And you want to know why? It's not because churches love kids. It's not. It is not because churches love kids. It is because having a stellar children's ministry gets young couples into the church. And those young couples are going to tithe and they're going to bring their kids there and their kids are going to make friends. And then they're going to be a part of that church and they're going to be giving to that church and they're going to help that church grow. And does that sound really cynical and terrible? Does it sound like a horrible view of that? Yes, it does sound cynical and terrible, but I 100% believe it. I believe it because I've sat in meetings where Spiritual leaders are brainstorming about how to do big, huge, fun events to just get lots of people in and not a word about sharing the gospel, not a word about helping people who are hurting. It's marketing. And I think, honestly, that 
how vocal the church is about abortion and how vocal the church is about Roe v. Wade, I think that that's marketing too. I just, I cannot take you people seriously. I can't take you seriously that you care for vulnerable babies that haven't been born yet when after said babies are born, you can't lift a finger to help them. And not even not lifting a finger to help them, but many times taking advantage of their vulnerability and further traumatizing them. I think the thing that bothers me the most is that, and, and maybe this happens all over the world, and just because I'm here, this is where I, I notice it the most, but in the American church, it just seems like everything is so partisan that a lot of pastors seem like they're political activists. A lot of Christians in general, but pastors especially, a lot of leaders just seem like political activists instead of shepherds of flocks. Where is the compassion of Christ? Like, where did it go? And you can't, this is not how compassion works. You can't say you deeply care about something when you have zero skin in the game. As a pastor, you can say all you want. I mean, you can say it. You can say all you want that you care deeply about unborn boys and girls. You can say that, but there's literally nothing that you are personally doing to show that you actually do care about boys and girls. All you're doing is speaking on behalf of a political party and trying to make it sound as though it fits in with scripture somehow. And I need more proof than that, that a pastor cares about human lives. I need more proof than that. Sorry. I need more proof than I'm going to vote Republican every year because I care about babies. (laughs) Like that does not prove anything to me. It doesn't. It proves that you want your favorite political party to be in power. It proves that because the vast majority of your congregation is in one political party, you have to cater to that congregation by being very vocal about things that that political party cares about, because that's how you keep your job, and that's how you keep people happy and amening and liking all your Facebook posts. What it doesn't do is prove to me that you actually have the love of Christ for human beings, that you actually have the compassion of Christ for human beings. It doesn't prove it. And I would say, you know, if churches were were getting the rest of it right, if churches were getting it right when it came to people that were already born, I would listen a lot more to what the church has to say about what they think about what happens to the unborn. You know, if churches were getting it right in, in showing grace and compassion and love and and were offering help to people, and I'm not saying that churches never do this, but in a lot of these churches, no, it's, it's a big fun club that people go to on Sundays and there are smoke machines and perfectly styled worship leaders and a dynamic speaker and we feel good when we leave. But what have we really done for humanity? What have we really done to worship? It almost seems like it's just becoming, um, ch- churches are just becoming a place where we go and, and we worship our own image. And I promise you, when I encounter, you know, people who are doing the same thing on the opposite side of the political realm, and they're touting leftist ideas and saying that, you know, those are, that's the political party that Jesus would belong to and never ceases to amaze me that 
if you're an evangelical Christian, you know, all of your political ideals can be linked back to Jesus somehow. And and then if you leave Christianity and then you're on the left, then, then suddenly all of your political ideals can be linked to Jesus, only they're on the left now instead of the right. So I'm not just picking on one side of politics here. I want to make that clear. My point is not like if, if you're a Republican, you suck and, you know, you have to be a Democrat in order to to love people and care about people. I think that that's a load of crap too. But I'm tired of the church. And I think that there's going to be a greater punishment for people of the church using God to gain political power, using scripture to gain political power. I once had a pastor who, yes, I occasionally bring up nameless, though he is on this podcast. (laughs) Um, I had a pastor who, and he's one of the ones that's just touting, you know, just how glorious it is that Roe v. Wade has been overturned and that we're protecting so many unborn boys and girls and we're speaking out on behalf of the voiceless and the vulnerable. And um, this is a pastor who actually told one of his staffers that he had to stop posting about Obama when he was running for president. And I actually don't think this person, I think this person was leading worship and was not even on the staff of the church, but he like demanded that he take down some post that was like pro President Obama. And like this just, that's just insane to me. It's completely insane that you're trying to control the political views of everybody in your congregation and everybody on your staff and everybody who volunteers at your church because you're not telling anyone, anyone to take anything down in support of a Republican candidate. Like it would have been different if uh, none of us are going to post about politics. None of us are going to say anything about, you know, politicians that really doesn't belong here. We're here to serve God and, and not to fight about politics. Like if that had been a hard and fast rule or something great, but it wasn't, it was just that this person who sang on stage at church sometimes had posted something pro Obama and probably anti-Republican. And the pastor had a fit about it to the point where he actually told him that because he sang in the church, he couldn't have that on his Facebook page or whatever feed that it was on. It's just, it's complete and utter ridiculous. It's about power and it's about control. And somebody posted, it was um, Benjamin Kramer on Twitter, power and control are not fruits of the spirit. Kindness and gentleness are. And like, I don't always agree with everything that the Reverend Benjamin Kramer says, But I agree with this. Power and control are not fruits of the spirit. They're not. It's kind of like dynamic speaking is not a fruit of the spirit. It's not. And so much of the way that we judge Christians, and especially our spiritual leaders, is based on things that have nothing to do with the fruits of the spirit. Diane Langberg talked about this recently um, at a conference that she spoke at talking about how we basically look at other things besides the fruits of the spirit when we're deciding who should pastor our church. Do they have love, joy, peace, kindness? Are they kind? Are they gentle? Do they exercise self-control? You know, you go through that list and most of the time what people really enjoy about a spiritual leader has nothing to do with the fruits of the spirit. Oh, this guy's a great speaker. He keeps me so entertained while I'm at church on Sunday. You know, I always laugh. He's so interesting to listen to. Okay, well, you know what? He literally doesn't even have to be a Christian to be a dynamic speaker. You don't have to be a Christian to know Bible verses. 
You don't have to be a true follower of Christ to be able to entertain somebody standing on stage and speaking. Like motivational speakers all over the world do it all the time. And it has nothing to do with your level of spirituality because it's not a fruit of the spirit. Dynamic speaking isn't. Friendliness isn't. That's a big one. You know, when I left a church that I was on staff uh, working for, a friend of mine, super close friend, she knew some of what I had been going through. And it was just interesting that, you know, her response when I explained some of the really awful things that I'd been through on this church staff, um, her response was, you know, I know that, that that happened to you, but just for me, you know, this pastor has always been fine and not, he, he's never done anything like that to me. I mean, that was basically it. Like if somebody comes to you and tells you that somebody is abusing them, your response should probably never be, well, they've never abused me. Um, but you know what? I, I had grace for that and I'm just like, all right, I'll just, I'll let it go, like whatever. But I started thinking about it recently uh, because my friend brought up this pastor who was coming into town to speak and she hadn't seen him for a while and she was just so excited to see him. And I got to thinking about it. I'm like, what is it about her interactions with him that lead her to believe that he could not be an abusive person? They're not close. He never visited her home. He never visited her in the hospital. He never visited any of her kiddos in the hospital. He never made any like personal sacrifice to help her out. And I can't say never, but I really would venture to say that I I worked for the man and was in much closer proximity to him for a long time and never saw him display any of the fruits of the spirit. So it's not a far cry to venture to guess that he had never really displayed any true fruit of the spirit with her. What he was, was friendly and entertaining and a good speaker that made people feel good when they sat in the pews on Sunday and didn't really have many further interactions with him in everyday life. But he ruled with power and control, which are not fruits of the spirit. And so back to what the Reverend Kramer said, power and control are not fruits of the spirit. Kindness and gentleness are. So while churches are you know, celebrating Roe v. Wade being overturned, I'm not seeing a lot of kindness. I'm seeing a lot of super judgmental posts and, you know, people chalking every woman who makes the decision to terminate a pregnancy, like that she's just a monster who just decides one day like, oh, hey, I'm pregnant. I just, I think I just won't be. It's kind of like buying a stick of gum or something, you know, way oversimplifying an issue that can get really complex. And again, not arguing for or against abortion. But we are held to a different standard when we say that we are followers of Christ. We're held to a different standard, and it's not a political one. The standard that we're held to is Christ and his compassion for human beings who do things that he doesn't agree with. His compassion for people who religious leaders wanted to just stone. And we're seeing that right now. Anybody who disagrees with my political opinion about abortion is just a horrible person and they're a monster. And because they want to kill babies, I don't have to be nice to them. Jesus said so. No, he didn't. (laughs) He literally did not. That's not in the Bible. It's not a fruit of the spirit. It is not a characteristic of Christ. And just because you believe that what you're doing is defending unborn children and, and defending people who have a right to live does not mean that you have a license to be cruel to people and to be hateful toward people. 
your partisanship does not belong in church. But it seems like that's all Christianity in the United States is. And as a survivor of sexual abuse, and as somebody who advocates for other survivors of sexual abuse, it's heartbreaking. And yeah, it makes me angry, but mostly just like this past week, I'm like, man, there's just, there's no hope. There's no hope for a church that can't lift a finger to help those who have been abused until like with the SBC. Oh, yay. They're finally, you know, sort of doing something about this rot that's been in their churches for decades. But it's only because people have pushed and pushed and pushed and that expose after expose has been written and that survivors have been loud and refused to be silenced about it, that they're finally doing anything. It's not because they're Christ-like. It's not because they have compassion for the vulnerable and the weak. It's because basically their hands were forced. And when we can watch the biggest denomination in the world do that, I don't want to hear about how pro-life you are because you're caring for the vulnerable and the voiceless. It's a load of crap. Because you caring for the vulnerable and the voiceless would require you to care for the people who are already alive who are vulnerable and voiceless. I believe fervently that when we get to heaven, we're not getting a free pass for stomping on vulnerable people that we came across because we were pro-life. It's not going to happen. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You covered up sex abuse in your congregation. You treated survivors with contempt. You supported perpetrators and shamed victims for not forgiving them fast enough. You fostered an environment where a few people had tons of power and they could take advantage of people in the congregation and people were abused as a result. But you know what? You always said you were pro-life. And when you posted that on Facebook, man, that was really honoring to me. So well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. It's not going to happen. It's not going to. The church is getting this wrong. Full stop. Wrong. And I'm just, I'm tired of it. And I've, I felt sick, you know, this past week, just, just with all the posts. I do not want to hear how overjoyed you are about the vulnerable being protected when you literally cannot lift a finger to help the tens of millions of survivors of sexual abuse in this country. Not only can you not lift a finger to help them, but you can never say a word about them anywhere. You're not asking your congregations to care about them. You're not posting anything on Facebook about how as Christians we should care for victims of sexual abuse. It's not on your radar. It's not a part of your life. You're completely and utterly ignoring it because it, you know why? It makes the church look bad. It makes the church look bad so you're going to ignore it because it's not people you care about. It's a political party and political power that you care about. And that's what came up for me this week. And in case any of the survivors of sexual abuse who listen to this podcast were having similar feelings, um, I wanted to share it here because it's not fair. And I just want to acknowledge that, you know, it's, it's so hard. So many people have been hurt so deeply by people in the church and people who are claiming that they care so much about the vulnerable when they've stomped on us. And it's because survivors of sexual abuse don't help these Christians gain political power, but unborn babies do. And it says a lot to me. I'd love to hear, as always, what you have to say. And you can join us on the Survivor Sanctuary Podcast Facebook group and let us know your thoughts on the episode there. Again, I know that this is kind of a a polarizing topic and 
there are a lot of strong opinions one way and, and the other regarding Roe v. Wade, regarding abortion. Um, I get that. And, and that's why, you know, I hope that it came across clearly that I'm not promoting pro-choice or pro-life here. I'm not saying that Roe v. Wade should or should not have been overturned because I don't feel like that this podcast platform is, is the place for that. It is, though, um, the, the place of this platform to call out how survivors are treated within the church. And, you know, sometimes it's just, sometimes it's just really, really crappy to know that we rank lower than people who may or may not be born that you're probably never going to meet or interact with or have to make any personal sacrifices for. Like the people that, that are alive and speaking to you about the deep spiritual and emotional and, and psychological damage that's been done to them, often in the name of the Lord, the wounded people standing in front of your face are less important to you than the random embryos in the wombs of women that you're calling murderers and promiscuous monsters who want to murder babies. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up. It stinks. And I don't believe it. I just don't. I do not believe that you actually care for the vulnerable and the voiceless. Because if you did, you'd freaking do something about the problem of sexual abuse within the church. You'd freaking do something for survivors of sexual abuse. And until you do, I say shut up about how much you care about unborn boys and girls. And once again, that's what I've got for you today. I will catch you back here next time on another episode of the podcast. See you then. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.